pray with me? God, we pray this morning that we would simply keep our hearts open, that we would listen with our hearts, that we would think with our hearts, and that we would recognize you as you show up. And we pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen. These past few months, I think a lot of us have developed different habits and different ways of occupying our time. I've never had too much time for television before, but at night I have found myself drawn to every kind of home renovation show that there is to be had on uh, television. My very favorite one has become Hometown with Aaron and Ben Napier, and some of you I know are going to recognize that. But what I've come to realize is that it's not just a particular show, but it's a particular event that happens in every single show about renovating and remodeling a home. You see, what happens is you take a wreck of a home. I mean, just a wreck. There was no hope for it. And it's a house that's transformed into something that's beautiful, something that's livable, something that's desirable and functional at the same time. It's the before and the after. The before and the after. It's like out of the, the ashes, the phoenix rises, and it's just a demolished house. And I, I started thinking if, if seeing windows and a kitchen sink and a bathtub and a toilet and seeing wood and mortar and brick be transformed causes such great satisfaction and such joy for me. How much more does the before and after of our life in Christ cause such joy? And as a matter of fact, that's exactly what Paul is describing to us today. In our scripture, he describes this as he continues to teach in his um, continual regard to the idea of baptism, not just as a uh, function, but baptism as crossing a threshold, a picture of God's abundant and merciful grace. This particular scripture that we're going to talk about today is so typical of Paul. He lays it on so thick. This whole idea that it's all God's initiation. It's all God's uh, uh, plan for us. He pictures God as this uh, benevolent and all-thinking, all-knowing, coming towards us. And we are simply receivers of that grace and that mercy And he excludes from God's salvation anything that we have to do with that. No scheme of self-improvement, no sense of mystical experience, no high-minded religion is really worth anything when it comes to salvation. We can't do it ourselves. We can't earn it. We can't make it happen. God did everything on God's own initiative and treated all people all people, religious and pagan, equally as sinners. So Paul has laid this on, like I said, in a very deep way. And then he asks us, so what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do with your life now? 
Having said this, how can he ask us to do anything? After all, he's laid it on so thick, it makes you think, and it certainly made these readers think, if nothing we do makes any difference, why do anything? If our sin doesn't turn God away from us, why not sin? If nothing we do can make God withdraw from us, why don't we just go and live it up? And that's where we pick up today's scripture. Romans 6, 1 through 11. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Wow. Paul has said a lot. He has spoken to us. And now it's up to us to unpack that and look at that. What does that mean for us? If God has done it all, do we have to do anything? And that's what Paul is trying to say. Paul answers that question by stating that the new life of holiness is the sequel to the act of salvation. That is the most critical thing I want you to take away from today. That what we do after God's act of salvation is the sequel to the act of God's salvation. God has saved us through Jesus Christ. We are saved. It's done. Salvation is ours. And from this point on, sin, every sin, is in contradiction of who we really are now. Therefore, every sin is destructive to the new life that's growing within us. I... Sometimes I think about this image, that new life growing within us, and this is the image that comes to me. It's like being pregnant and continuing to drink or smoke, not getting any exercise, not taking your prenatal vitamins, and causing that which is growing within you to fight for life. It's there. It's already there. Nourish it. Nurture it. All our sin against God was taken from us on the cross. 
by Jesus Christ. It's all been dealt with. My sins from now on are failures to live out the new life, this new identity that I've been given. After Paul responds to his own questions with an emphatic, no, it doesn't mean that we can just go on like we were before. He goes on to expand his response. He reminds Christians in Rome of their baptism. And this may seem like a very different understanding of baptism, maybe a deeper understanding, maybe a more comprehensive, more demanding understanding of baptism. Paul believed that baptism was the practical and physical beginning of the Christian life. There's a a theologian by the name of Ted Smith who writes that Paul understands baptism as a kind of exodus, and he likens it to the exodus story of the Hebrew people being freed from slavery in Egypt. As Israel once labored under Pharaoh, so humanity labored under the bondage to sin. As Pharaoh's power was broken, once the Israelites crossed over and passed through the waters of the Red Sea, he goes on to say that Israel came through the water into the wilderness, so sin's power was broken when we crossed through the waters of our own baptism. Israel came through the waters and came out the other side into the wilderness. It's a place where Pharaoh no longer had dominion over their lives, where God traveled with them every single day. But they were still not in the promised land. That was yet ahead of them. There was still a lot of work to do on that nomad tribe from when they left Egypt to the time they made it to the promised land. There was a lot of work for them to do to get from one place to another, but they were free. They were free to do it. Even so, we move through the waters of baptism into a place where sin no longer has dominion over us, where God is with us and traveling with us all the way, but where the fullness of the resurrection has yet to be fulfilled. Baptism unites Christians to Christ so completely So completely do we become one with Christ that we share in his death and his resurrection. Our old self is crucified with Christ on the cross and the death breaks the power of sin over our lives. We die with Christ. One scholar puts it in a way, I'll be honest with you, that was so startling to me. It just pulled me up and I had to sit with this image for a long time. He says that baptism, it's a drowning, an act that renders us dead to sin and alive to Christ and Christ Jesus because we don't remain dead. Paul's remarks to the church in Rome remind us that baptism is much more than a simple rite or a passage, that it's a a radical change in identity It's one that opens up such new possibilities, the same way that those home restoration uh, specialists can open up a room by getting a wall, moving a wall, or tearing down a barrier. There is the before and there is the after. And that is sometimes the hardest thing for us to understand, that we no longer live in the before. We no longer live with that baggage. 
We no longer live with that regret and that shame. And, and we live as though it still exists and it's gone. We are given a new identity in Christ. Our daily, our day-to-day lives won't, be, won't have a chance to change at all unless we embrace that new identity. Paul believes that right identity precedes right actions. And this means, first and foremost, that we have a change in status. We're no longer located in sin. And, and, and Paul speaks to that in, uh, earlier in chapter 5. And he doesn't talk about this, that we're not located in sin. He doesn't tell us that so that we think that we're right and, and that that's all we need to, to do and be. He, he says that to us in order for us to be rescued and that we can understand that we've been moved and our identity has been changed and we are now located in another place. Paul uses the image uh, later on and earlier of planting as with a tree or with a shrub. It's that home renovation again. Once you've been planted in a particular soil, that's where you have to grow. In baptism, you're planted in the death of Jesus Christ. And in order that you may now live as a renewed human being, being planted in the death of Jesus means also you've been planted in the resurrection of Jesus, in the resurrected life of Jesus. And living in accordance with a change of status requires that you recognize it and that you take steps to bring your actual life into alignment with the person that you have become. You are a new creation. And now it's important for your view of who you are and who people are and who the world is to be brought into an alignment with this new creature. You know, when we get married or when we have a child, we have become someone new. Uh, uh, We are an expanded version of ourselves. And a change has occurred in which we must now conform. And to be honest with you, we can break our promises. We can be irresponsible with our new identity, but we can't change what happened. When we made our marriage vows, even if we walk away from that marriage, we can't take back the fact that we made those vows. And when we have a child and we disregard that child, even abandon that child, we cannot make it different that we had a child and that that child is born and alive and still here. So we cannot undo the new identity We can only walk away from it. When we become baptized, we can shrug off our new responsibilities and we can shrug off this new identity that Christ has given us. We we can pretend that we don't have a new status. Sure. But what we can't do is become unbaptized. God has saved us. We are baptized into a new life, a new life reality. And even if we disregard and even if we ignore that new reality, it doesn't make it any less real. It doesn't make it any less true. 
So don't even think of going back to Egypt. There's nothing for you there. Better think carefully about who you are and set off for the promised land. There's a lot of work to do between here and there. But Christ will be with us every step of the way. You know, we modern Christians have a way of compartmentalizing a lot about our faith. What we believe doesn't always shape how we act or behave or what we say. David Bartlett is professor of New Testament at Columbia Theological uh, Seminary. And he says this so well, and it haunts me. Listen, we think that because our hearts belong to Jesus, our bodies, our checkbooks, our votes, and our property values belong to us. Paul says, that's impossible. And the logic is simple. We have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And it's very important that you notice what Paul says. Paul is a wordsmith. He only says the words he wants to say. He, there are no throwaway words. He has crafted this down to the most minute particle. And Paul says, we too might walk in the newness of life, not think and not believe, but walk so that our actions match our belief and our words match our belief and what we do with our lives match the grace and the compassion and the love that God has given us and that we have claimed a change that has implications for every single aspect of our lives. Nothing is left untouched. And this isn't a demand by no means, but it's a glorious possibility to be alive to God, a glorious possibility to be alive to God without the old self hanging on to you, dragging you down. That old self is dead. It's gone. It's before and it's after. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Thanks be to God.